Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. 73 Apple, take one, Mark. The story of Alzheimer's is never about one person. My PhD thief. I'm gonna start again. You wanna keep the house? You need to sacrifice. We will live and document our subject's physical and mental degradation over the course of two one-month periods. We're gonna have fun, right? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm not interested in being exploited. mentioned that Doug's been sleepwalking pretty bad. So let's set up surveillance cams. Huh? Uh, he really gave us all quite a fright with your late night gardening. This is not normal sleepwalking. You should come see this. It's not good, Doc. Remember a man named Henri Desjardins went missing 30 years ago? I tried to wash you in the river, you know. That woman is crazy. The notion of spiritual parasites does exist. In continuing our look at the found footage genre, returning friend of the show Bernie joins me to look at the medical doc from hell, The Taking of Deborah Logan, which is currently streaming on Prime Video and Tubi TV. Directed by Adam Robitel, the film follows a crew who are documenting Deborah Logan's experience grappling with Alzheimer's for Mia's thesis project. But soon after arriving at the Logan home, it doesn't take long for them to realize that the changes Deborah is experiencing aren't explained by any medical book. So without further ado, here's our conversation on The Taking of Deborah Logan. Bernie, welcome back to the show. Hey, I appreciate it, man. This is uh, definitely one of the spookier films, I think, that we've talked about on here. For sure, yeah. I've really enjoyed talking with you last time uh, about Creep at 1 and 2. Mm. And while that was more of sort of like a psychological horror aspect, mm-hmm. this is really about more kind of the traditional, I think, what you would assume in the realm of like supernatural found footage where we're dealing more with kind of like spirits and demons and type things. And yet I'm interested to hear what you kind of think about the uh, overall structure of the taking of Deborah Logan, because I think the setup for this one is a lot different than previous films that we've talked about. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, just right out the gate, what do you think about the film's structure framework being that of like a medical documentary? Uh, it's definitely something unique, which I, I always like to see because, um, you know, this had hints of like paranormal um, once we saw like the different point of view camera angles and things to that nature. Um, but I really did enjoy the way that they at least gave the background on who Deborah Logan was, j- just kind of like the genesis of her issues. And then we get up to like today and seeing how. Uh, she's reacting versus also how it was like, um, uh, what was it, Alzheimer's that she mm-hmm. was 
essentially supposed to have, right? Like they give an example at the very beginning of the movie of how this is supposed to progress. And obviously she has a very similar onset of, of uh, symptoms, but they take a very drastic, you know, kind of left turn. I really enjoyed the aspect of like, we obviously have an idea that this looks like something demonic from like the um, the trailer and things like that, right? The 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 beginning uh, due diligence you do on these kind of films, but um, as it kind of further progressed, I just thought there were so many different interesting takes that they made um, that made this uh, a surprisingly interesting film to watch. I, I definitely enjoyed it. What about yourself? Yeah, I think so. Before even getting into kind of the found footage nature of it this movie being a possession movie and it evolving into one, I think that it makes sure to achieve something that I think a lot of possession horror kind of struggles with. That being actually feeling some sort of sympathy or connection with the victim, right? I mean, when you think about possession movies and demons and whatnot, a lot of the time I feel like you're introduced to somebody, they barely spend any time developing that character to the point that you never really have any incentive to become invested in them other than hey this is a person that's becoming possessed whereas this film does such a good job in terms of pacing itself that the first half of the film is very much the opposite of supernatural right it's very kind of focused hyper focused on capturing the both the physical and the mental sides of alzheimer's of somebody suffering from it of somebody trying to grapple with it and they right. really do a fantastic job of establishing Deborah Logan her, and her daughter Sarah Logan and of course the film crew that comes in um, and I think that they spend just enough time on it that it really does add a lot of weight to when the supernatural things happen but at the same time once there's that shift from a very grounded straightforward portrayal of capturing somebody in the uh, throes of grappling with the disease once we get into the supernatural aspect it doesn't kind of feel like a drop of the hat right because the way that they deal with both sides of it being this very kind of um, factual representation and obviously the fictional stuff, it never feels like they kind of just jump into the deep end. The way that they pace it throughout the entire film, I think, is really great. And in terms of the medical documentary structure of the narrative, mm -hmm. I think it really makes this film, which I believe is probably, I don't know, it's just a few minutes more uh, over a 90 minute runtime or something like that. Yeah. It is incredibly brisk and there's almost no downtime. And I think yeah. that's because of, again, that that uh, structural framework, right? Because early on, we have that sort of firsthand accounting of what's happening, which is the film crew capturing what's happening. But then we also get like B-roll footage of uh, Deborah Logan's life, Sarah yeah. Logan's conversations and we kind of just get a sense of what it's like to be around these characters. We get a sense of what they're going through and it feels like you are almost like a fly on the wall sometimes and kind of, yeah. it does a really great job of establishing us, the viewer into this world and it makes it feel more involving than I think a lot of found footage films uh, sometimes fail to capture or just maybe even in the larger conversation of like possession horror as a whole. Mm -hmm. No, hundred percent. I mean, I think, we always talk about this with with really good horror movies. The the casting has to be good for for these to fit right. Um, uh, Jill Larson, who plays Deborah Logan, does such a phenomenal job, and it's not even necessarily dialogue. She just has like this look that she can do, whereas you know, like Steve Carell has that look, like or Jim. Um, 
uh, Jim Halpert's character, I forget the actor's name uh, off the top of my head, but like he has that funny look in the office that's very memorable. Hers is very memorable for just being so damn scary. And she has it multiple times and it's, you know, they don't like regurgitate it too much, but it's done in a way where it doesn't feel like it's stale, right? We've both seen enough horror movies now to where like, yeah, this person does this like creepy jump here or they'll have this like very uh, typical kind of like a stare down in this type of a scene, right? Like everything that happens in this, at least from a, a gotcha kind of perspective seems very organic. And I enjoyed that from the time where, um, you know, I think it was Gavin, um, one of the one of the camera guys on their film crew um, with uh, Mia, uh, he kind of films her looking at a snake and just staring at it very weirdly. And then he looks back at Mia and turns around and, and uh, Deborah Larson's right in front of her, uh, Deborah Logan rather. Those kind of scenes, you know, if they're not done right or they're not done with the right characters can come off just, just Bush League, I guess is the best way that I could put it. Um, but the way that this was directed and the way that um, Jill Larson played that character, it just made every moment that she was on camera unnerving in some form or fashion. I just, I freaking love that. Yeah, and I think that that really comes back to the idea that the first half of the film is just about capturing a sick old woman going about her life and trying to maneuver that. And I really like that they kind of capture the dynamic of the strife that's going on between uh, Deborah and her daughter, Sarah, and kind of just capturing a lot of the realities of dealing with an older family member that's sick or that's dealing with some type of illness. And I think that in establishing that, you're able to obviously capture a couple of creepy moments, but the creepy moments early on again, it's nothing that you could justify in terms of it. Like nothing supernatural occurs early on. It's right. all just kind of just capturing somebody that is more than likely confused and reacting as somebody that's confused, like forgetting where she is, forgetting who she is, forgetting who the people are around her in right. a way that it's nothing that you can dismiss. Right. Mm -hmm. There's that one moment where she kind of sneaks up on somebody else, but there's nothing supernatural about that. And I also particularly like that in that moment, that's like a very kind of go to found footage moment. Somebody runs at the camera or appears in the camera. We don't get somebody like screaming or this like big burst of noise or something that's supposed to like make you jump. Right. It's kind of just getting you ready for the idea that or almost reminding you that, hey, even though nothing supernatural is happening now, like this is still a horror movie. And I like that because, again, having this kind of medical documentary framework and like intermingling um, firsthand accounts of what's happening and then B-roll footage like of her going to the store, trying right. to grapple with daily activities and how difficult that is as somebody with Alzheimer's. The idea, though, that you have these little moments that are unsettling, but at the same time, there's nothing that you could say about those that's out of place. Everything that she's doing that's being captured that might be perceived as creepy. It's all kind of like very normal behavior that could be justified by this is an old woman who's confused or an old woman who's forgetful and things like that. So I think that's really is a strength um, early on because otherwise if they didn't capture these kind of very faithful portrayals of what it would be like for somebody to deal with an illness such as Alzheimer's, the idea, it would probably feel a little more uh, exploitive and I was really surprised to find that this doesn't feel exploitive because 
the grounded nature of the first half of the movie and capturing what that experience is like feels so authentic and it feels yes. like they aren't kind of like mentioning Alzheimer's a bunch of times and then in the first 10 minutes something supernatural happens right there's mm -hmm. like 30 or 40 minutes of them dedicating to a very what I perceive as being an authentic uh, portrayal of that illness and so I think that really makes all the difference in the world for this movie and it it makes this movie feel very different than I think a lot of found footage films uh, do right out the gate. Well, I think to your point, right, the way that the the story goes, right, the arc of the story, we get connected to Deborah Logan, not just because she does seem like a sweet old grandma for the first, you know, 35, 40 minutes. Um, but we also all have a grandma or, you know, parents or something, and we've for the most part most of us have seen somebody that we care about grow old and slow down and you know they can't cook as quick or you know do other things that their day-to-day -day life used to be a lot quicker in that sense and now they're slowing down right so i think a lot of us saw people that we loved in that kind of vein and you feel bad and you you put yourself in sarah logan's shoes of like how would i be able to cope with this I think when she started drinking, a lot of us very much understood, like, you got to figure out a way to, like, be able to, like, mentally cope with the fact that this is happening to someone you love. And, you know, there's right and wrong ways necessarily to go about it, but there, that's an understandable way of handling it. So there was a lot of things that happen at the beginning that, again, make you invested in the characters. Um, but also, you, like, I, I remember that when they were, like, installing the cameras basically um i think it was um lewis if i'm not mistaken that was doing yep. it right and i think you briefly mentioned on it like you see her in the background kind of moving around weirdly right and then there's like one specific scene where she's just staring at the camera with him looking at it and mm -hmm. he doesn't realize it and then he, she like slams the door and makes like a, a big noise afterwards um those kind of scenes sprinkle her blowing down where she is or what she was doing or like I think there was a particular scene where she was asking um, uh, Mia asked her have you been to Texas before and Sarah has to explain to Deborah like yes you have and, you know those kind of moments you start to question okay is there something else again you know we talked about this in Creep is there something that we're not understanding or seeing that's going to reveal itself later on right um, or is this just the the breaking down of a person's abilities to function coupled with some demonic things? So I love the fact that it kept you guessing up until we start to, you know, Deborah really start to take a turn for the worse in that sense. But there's just enough of like, I don't know, there's enough plausible deniability to not understand like, is this something that has to do with her neighbor? Or is this, you know, could her daughter Sarah be influencing like these weird outbursts? Or is this all Deborah or there's something else right at play? Um, so I just, I love that aspect that it actually really did, at least for me, it kept me guessing up until she gets hospitalized. And then obviously we see the explosion of all of her symptoms. Um, but like, was there, did you go through that same type of thinking process or, or for you was it all, like instantly like okay she's definitely demonic in some kind of way and um these are all kind of innocent bystanders that might not be playing a part into this so to speak and now for a brief intermission 
If you've been enjoying this episode of Daily Horror Habit, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform or leave us a review on iTunes. And thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the remainder of today's horrifying episode. No, I think they do a really good job at creating that doubt, right, of who is actually acting in Deborah's best interest, because there is sort of that little, um, not rivalry, but some conflict between Harrison, uh, who is the, like, groundskeeper friend of Deborah, and the daughter, Sarah, right, and trying to, like, almost fight over custody of Deborah at certain points in terms of trying to influence the decisions uh, that should be made in terms of her her care and what's in her best interest. I mean, they have a fight early on about whether or not to send her to an assisted living facility. And like the way that they capture that conversation feels very realistic because it is a conversation that would happen very organically, right? I mean, you can only help somebody so much before they get to a place where you realize like, hey, they need around the clock care in a facility that accommodates all of these different um, difficulties that could come up and things and challenges. And so little conversations like that, but also you get the hint that certain people know more than they're letting on, right? And I think I'd agree with your point in that that is an element that makes you more invested almost in this beginning section that's very kind of just about capturing the realities of grappling with that um, disease and the challenges that come with that. And also, I think that the beginning part of the film is so important in preserving the scares of the film. Because Mm. again, like there's some creepy moments in the first half of the film, but it's nothing really like frightening or terrifying, but it is engaging just enough that by the time it evolves into the full blown demonic uh, moments later in the film, like those are still very fresh and those still hit in a way that really makes the end of the film all the way to the final moments that terrifying and yet even once you get to the end i never looked back on the first part of the film and thought oh that was time wasted that was time that was wasted leading up to the good part of the movie or something uh, an overall kind of reductive view of the beginning portion of the film if anything you look at the beginning portion of the film and you think it's not scary or terrifying but it is pretty heartbreaking like seeing her Uh, wandering around the house in the dark and not really knowing where she is and these things. It's like, yeah, that is all moments that feel very earned or they feel very representational of somebody that is dealing with that illness. Or like when she starts ripping off chunks of her skin from scratching and stuff, like that's a gross moment, but there's nothing about that that is um, unrealistic or not in line with somebody that's suffering from a condition like that or something to that extent, right? So I really think that in garnering all this sympathy for Deborah and Sarah in the beginning portion of the film, when we start to build and build and build to the supernatural parts of the film, like we're invested in every single moment, which I think makes every single scare that comes for that point in the film feel very earned in a way that I don't know necessarily know that all found footage films or even horror films in general necessarily capitalize on as well as uh, the taking of Deborah Logan does. And, and think about it like this, right? It's really critical. I mean, I, I I don't have, thankfully, too much experience with Alzheimer's. I have friends who've had family members that have experienced, but thankfully, personally, nobody in my family has. Um, and, you know, I, 
obviously I'm sure some of it is done for theatrical purposes, but that beginning portion specifically where they explain like, this is the progression of how Alzheimer's works. And you very clearly see the deterioration both in their personality and their physical state, right? Um, hair loss, all that kind of stuff. Um, so when you see that happening to Deborah, again, you you have that plausible deniability of this is just a poor woman that's going through very uh, acutely aggressive symptoms from this. And you don't have that. There is still a way for you to leave out with this from her being like a demon or infected with a demon. Mm -hmm. And it's just her being sick. And then there's some other supernatural occurrence that happens afterwards. That's, you know, kind of side by side with it, not combined necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, I think to your point about like how this actually built up, that was really key, in my opinion, to making this a good movie. Because if you didn't have that medical component to it, I think a lot of people wouldn't actually have the understanding of like, this is a quote unquote normal deterioration in that first 30 minutes. And then the rest of it is supernatural or, you know, demonic, whatever you want to put it for it. Um, so I thought that was super key. The other thing, and we've talked about this before as well, there are films that I think overdo it right either it's with dialogue that's a little bit too fluffy and there's no need for it i mean there was no real fat in this movie i really like the fact that it was whatever it was 98 minutes or you know it was it was definitely under a two-hour period yeah. um but it hit on everything everything that it needed to hit it did hit and i think the other key was is that they didn't go overboard on anything on the supernatural end too much until the ending to again where it kind of crescendos in the right spot they everything went step by step of how it needed to in order for us to be scared properly from the supernatural aspect without being put off that this is again to your kind of point that we're like sensationalizing a disease for horror rather than actually building a story arc from that um so they did a really good job of like alleviating any of those kind of issues that i thought could could come up from this yeah and i think that that's a really great point and it really is the key of what makes this work so well in that the changes are very gradual yes. and i think that again it, to avoid being exploitive it feels like the first i believe it's the first 30 days of the documentary, it's capturing somebody dealing with Alzheimer's. And there are some suspicious things are, that are happening, but you can't overtly say like, this is an example of something that is taking the basis of Alzheimer's and then applying a weird demonic spin to it. Whereas once you get to like the 60 day mark, when like you said, the changes in her body are gradual, but they're very apparent now, right? She's losing hair. She's like ripping skin off constantly. She, her, especially to like the skin on her face and like her teeth, especially yeah. are just like deteriorating to a point where at this point, the supernatural is undeniable. So you can't say like they're taking the symptoms or the, um, the changes in one's body as a result of Alzheimer's and sort of like building off of that because these changes only happen after the 60 day period, essentially where she is like, now it's, she's possessed. And so I think it's really important to separating those two period chunks of the film and then applying the scares to that in a way that feels respect, I don't know about respectful, but maybe it just, it doesn't feel exploitive. 
because yes. I think that this film would probably leave a bad taste in uh, in our collective mouths if they were just like, yeah, the first 10 minutes she's got Alzheimer's and then all of this sort of very overtly supernatural stuff starts happening and she looks like a demon and all this stuff. And it's like, well, why did you even bother saying that she had Alzheimer's, right? right. And I think that again, the sympathy that's garnered from that really does a fantastic job in terms of adding that weight to the scares in the film. But to go back for a second to something you said earlier about Jill Larson, I mean, she is so phenomenal in this role because she doesn't miss a beat in terms of going from the beginning of the film to the back half of the film where those are two very distinctly different roles. And mm -hmm. yet she's able to apply the same level of not only commitment, but I think just in terms of the believability of it, right? She mm -hmm. has to run this wide gambit of emotions in the first half of the film, right? She has mood swings. She has these kind of like fits and bouts of confusion and things to that extent. And then to go from that, but apply the same level of unease or uncertainty to the, the far more demonic angle in the back half of the film, I think is really impressive because she doesn't have a lot of dialogue once she becomes possessed. Right. Aside from the kind of like, the demonic growling moments, mm -hmm. like just the way that she taps into sort of like her physicality or the, her facial features is able to convey for me, the more memorably scary or frightening moments than the moments where she's like growling or screaming or something like, like yeah. you said, the moment when the film crew notices that she escapes basically in the middle of the night and she goes out in the woods and starts digging holes with her hands. Mm -hmm. And then Mia, who is the, uh, the woman in charge of the documentary is like washing her fingernails off and getting the blood off and everything. And then you look and the camera and Deborah Logan's just staring at her in the face. Yeah. Like, that's the most, that's one of the most frightening moments of the film for me. And it's just because of the way that she is staring at her. And I mean, in a movie that has a very shocking moment later on, a couple, I mean, for the scene to garner the most fear out of me is one where it's just this old woman looking at somebody like mm -hmm. that's a testament to the actor that is, uh, pulling that scene off because that is by far one of the scariest parts of the film for me. She's very like, I don't know if cathartic is the right word, but just her, her presence in those scenes. It's not like, I don't know for me, like when we talked about the Blair Witch Project, right? The scares were in the understanding that you are in a secluded place and mm -hmm. that you're somewhere where like you can't really get help if you need it right this is completely flipped right like she's getting help round the clock whether it's from her daughter from the doctors they're not they don't know what the heck is going on and the way that you can tell she has like a dead face in, in certain scenes or whatever that look is um, and it go it the pendulum kind of swings between her going back to being that sweet old grandma to like just that whatever demon that she is when she's speaking in French or Latin, whatever the language that they said that she was uh, speaking in and um, her daughter goes she doesn't she can't speak any other language basically. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of moments, it makes them more believable because then from everybody else's perspective, it's like, well, how the hell is this happening, right? She, there was no indications of this before. And again, when we get to those later on periods where she goes, you know, the the sweet old lady in her is completely kind of disappears. It's, 
it's just so fucking crazy. Like the the situations that happen, and um, the one the one down piece to me, at least, and maybe I just didn't fully understand it, but like, um, I didn't necessarily understand. Like, basically, she was typing in on her was it a switchboard, right? That she yeah, had? it was a switchboard. She was typing in three three one seven, or at least making the call to that, and she had taken away the document, and they found out that that was. Uh, a, a purported killer or serial killer that worked in her office or she was a switchboard provider mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. I didn't ever understand. So did she kill him? Did I, did I maybe? Deborah Logan and Harris basically took him and buried him alive. Okay. And so, because they found out what he was doing basically, which, and I mean, we can get into it now, sort of like the supernatural spin where mm-hmm. this pediatrician, uh, his name was, Desjardins was Desjardins or something like Desjardins, that. Desjardins, yeah. yeah, that was I butchered that one. But he was murdering children essentially, and he was a pediatrician, so he had access to kids and knew about them and their schedules and things like that. And he was apparently trying to perform an ancient ritual that would make him immortal, but required the deaths of five girls um, bef- recent who recently had their first period, so like young kids basically. Um, right. They essentially found out what he was doing. They killed him, and then they stashed his bones essentially in their attic. Um, and so then, obviously, his spirit is going to possess the one person that is um, that is mentally uh, compromised, we'll say, mm-hmm. uh, in as polite of terms as possible, I guess. But in terms of the second half of the film sw- uh, switching to being overtly supernatural horror and demonic horror and possession horror... What do you think about that change in going from the first half of the film to the second half? How do you think they kind of transition? And what do you think about the sort of twists and turns the second act take? So I like the fact that it was gradual. And then there's, I think the big kind of changing moment was um, where, if if I remember this correctly, it was right after she had gone outside with the... um, Uh, the spade thank you um and she accused i think it was gavin of stealing her spade yeah and she tried to stab him at one point with a knife and Mm -hmm. that later that night they found her just like uh i think she started like uh nailing uh nails into the window yeah and like she like lifted it up i believe it was afterwards without touching it at all um it was interesting because th- that was kind of juxtaposed as, as well with her like standing at the kitchen, if I remember correctly, and then it just like shifts to her standing on the the kitchen table or the. Um... She levitates basically onto the countertop. Thank you, thank you. Um, and so like everyone is in denial because they're like, yeah, we have two camera frames for this or two angles rather. There's no way that's possible. And then she does that. And now, again, as a viewer, it's no longer of like, you know, who is necessarily at fault. It's more of like, okay, she's definitely having like some sort of demonic or supernatural things happen to her. It's just the question of, is this because she's actually a demonic person? Is it someone like Hunt? Is that what his name is right? Or sorry, Harris, um, who is, you know, in some way creating this thing inside her or at least kind of fanning the flames 
Um, it, it We really get the idea that, okay, she's 100% going to go down this road. It's just how much she's going to go down it. I love the way that they set that up. And I, I think that, again, the way that the story arc happens in the first half of the movie, it makes it makes it more at least plausible what happens in the second half. And that, for me, makes it enjoyable because... Again, we've seen where where uh, directors mismanage or mistime these types of scares or how we're supposed to leverage from the first act to the second act. Um, I think they did it really, really flawlessly in this one. Uh, what about you? And I like, too, how when it goes from the sort of just uh, medical documentary to the supernatural stuff, the supernatural stuff is not super overt that the character's you would you would laugh at them for not leaving the house immediately right right obviously we know that there's supernatural things happening but the progression of them is not like zero to a hundred it starts very subtly but to the degree that there's still a little bit of doubt in terms of what is actually happening for the characters but then it very quickly uh realizes that like they can't miss a beat in terms of the back half of the film so like you have the window opening mysteriously you have the strange footage of her levitating and then you have the switchboard, which they go upstairs. And this is one of the things in the film that I think is pretty funny that they never, uh, they never address is like, the mother keeps running away and yet they never think to like, we should lock her door or something. There's like right. three or four different scenes where she's wandering, which is like, yeah, that's, that is a occurring thing with people who have Alzheimer's, but then they don't think to like lock her bedroom door at night or anything like that. I mean, that's just a little nitpick, but it gets to the point where she escapes her room again in the middle of the night and they go up into the attic and they even make a joke about like how many times they have to go check the attic for her. Um, and so they find her then upstairs at the old switchboard, like completely naked and just like talking in, uh, I think it was French and then mm -hmm. talking backwards in French, I think. And then like plugging in the different things and growling and then the switchboard explodes. Um, mm -hmm. Like that is a very creepy moment. That's the most overt supernatural moment because then you learn like, oh, she doesn't know French and yet the audio recording is her talking about snake venom and bathing in blood or feeding somebody to a river and all these different very like ominous phrases and things like that. So I think the ways in which the film really paces the scares overall throughout the film, but also in the second half of the film is so key because you would almost disregard the second half if it just began with right away she was like trying to kidnap kids from the hospital and trying to eat them and all of these things. I think that when you're pairing the demonic angle, which they kind of, they go to this university professor who essentially tells them all about this guy or this ritual and stuff. And they find out like, oh, that's what that pediatrician was doing. Like to start with that, I think would be a little too heavy handed. It would mm -hmm. almost like make you dismiss the first half of the film because you're like, oh, this is kind of getting a little ridiculous. But since they lead off with two or three moments of scares that are more supernatural, but they're not so over the top supernatural. I think it does a good job of kind of like weaning us off this uh, straightforward medical documentary and leading us down this supernatural uh, path as it were, because yeah. I think to lead too heavily with those elements, it might, it, for me, it might even be like a little off putting or something. Cause then it's yeah. like, Oh, well, what's the purpose of the first half if we're going to just go, zero to a hundred in terms of kind of just ridiculous supernatural moments. Whereas mm -hmm. I never experienced that because again, the pacing throughout the film is one that introduces the new concepts and the new types of scares in a way that feels very organic uh, to the film. 
Well, and then taking it to the end, I mean, obviously there had to be some sort of a crazy scare. Um, there were a number of them, but for me, I think the the biggest one was when we saw, you know, she kidnaps this cancer patient. She, I don't think she killed that that guard uh, that was like guarding their, I, I almost said cell block, the, uh, <laughs> hospital the, wing. the hospital wing that they were in. Yeah. Um, she like bites him and then they just walk out together. Um, the creepiest thing wasn't just for me, the fact that the the kid started to look exactly like Deborah Logan down to like how much her hair was receding and stuff like that. But they find them in um what was it called like Mo monahan hills or something it was like an old mill yeah some sort of a mill um and the camera like sneaks onto them and you see deborah deborah logan rather like take a bite of the kid's head it seemed like I think or she's maybe like trying to swallow her whole as a sacrifice for uh, the demon that's possessed her yeah and Again, if they had paced that any way differently, I would have probably been like, that's a wrap. I don't care if there's five minutes left. Like, that is not any way realistic. Not to say that that is even after everything that we saw, but again, it was just more plausible to how the pacing of the movie went um, to where, again, I think in many other aspects, I'm, I'm kind of a grandpa when it comes to things like that of like, dude, come on, that's just completely ridiculous. But it wasn't actually that ridiculous to like how this the situation was unfolding with her mental state. And that to me was just such a creepy moment where you just see like the blood on the back of that kid's head as she's, or neck rather, as she's, tr Deborah Logan is, you know, corpse is basically trying to eat her alive. That was just fucking crazy for me. I, I, I don't know if that's the same for you in terms of that being like the biggest scare for you, but that to me was just, that, that definitely hit it home for me. I love that moment because it's so unexpected, right? Up until then, there's only been one other image that has been ghostly, which mm -hmm. is when they burn the remains of the uh, pediatrician, they burn his remains and it won't, uh, it gets extinguished by some kind of supernatural force. And then they see the face of somebody in a window. Yes. Like that only, that's the only other kind of like ghostly moments in the film. But then we get this moment where Deborah Logan reveals her ability to like unclench her jaw and she's got this like monster mouth all of a sudden and she's trying to swallow this kid hole which is like the big monster moments of the film i was really happy that that is the only instance where they use that and it turns out i was reading that the special effects uh designer vincent gustani said that they agreed early on to use little of the transformation to remain the film's mostly truthful nature in the portrayal of Deborah Logan. And I think that that's important because again, if they introduce this concept that she could be a monster early on, we, yeah. get, we start going downhill in terms of like, Oh, well now this is an Alzheimer's person. We're saying that those people have the potential to be monsters or something like you, like somebody would inevitably draw that false conclusion, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but also the fact that the film builds to that big monster moment makes that have a weight to it. That the re that would not be there had the big reveal been earlier in the film again my soapbox for horror movies the third act is always the most difficult moment of the film to nail because usually you've seen the monster by then so how can it possibly have the same effect or be effective by the closing moments of the film 
this film does not have that issue because we haven't seen Deborah Logan's monster form throughout the entire film. So holding that moment back until the final 10 minutes of the movie is so key. And it really makes me look back on the rest of the movie very fondly because you see that the movie was able to be scary. It was able to be effective. It was able to draw uh, garner sympathy and whatnot without having a big kind of like traditional monster moment or a big kind of like practical effects moment. A majority of the film doesn't even have anything like that. I mean, there's more supernatural stuff, obviously, that's captured the longer Mm. we go throughout the film, but nothing to the degree that the final big moment has. And I think that that's just a testament to how well thought out the not only the premises, but the way that they're able to kind of expand that premise throughout the course of the film uh, Mm -hmm. to the degree that we get that fantastic final moment, but also like the film does such a good job of switching up the settings throughout the movie. And mm-hmm. I think that that's key in ensuring that all of the scares feel very fresh, right? Right, doesn't a get stale. L- yeah, a lot of the time, these found footage films, they're either in the woods, they're in an old house, things like that. Like usually it's, you know, you have a good idea of what the general environments are within the first 30 minutes of the movie. But this film, I feel, does such a great job of switching it up in that you go from the house in the woods, you go to the hospital a couple of times, then you go to the mine shaft or the, uh, the mill, as it yeah. were. And I mean, we even get that great sense of like as above, so below in the second half, in the finale of the film, because they go to like this mine that they have to climb through. They have to use the night vision. And that seems like a very sort of run of the mill shot to get or element to incorporate. Cause you've seen it in other found footage movies but at the same time, like there's so many, there's such a variety of types of shots or different types of found footage staples found within this movie that it really does feel ref- uh, fresh throughout the entire film. There's never a point where I found myself like bored or thought that the film was kind of just going through the paces because it's ever evolving, much like Deborah Logan is throughout the entire film. So that brings me to uh, my last question that I had for you. Um, always saving the best for last for you, man. Um, so the ending, um, it seems like the cancer patient girl, um, who was kidnapped, it seems like whatever devilish possession or, uh, I don't know if I said that right, but whatever devil possessed Deborah Logan originally seems Mm -hmm. to be influencing her. Yeah. After everything that we watched in this movie, would you be interested in some sort of a sequel to this? Um, I know that this is a six, seven-year-old movie now, but do you think that would make sense to carry on the story in some way, or do you like how it ended a little bit ominously? No, I think I'm I'm okay with the ending, and I don't think that they need to do a continuation of it, just because I don't think that they could do a possession. I think this is the best found footage possession they've done so far, that I've seen at least because of how well-structured it is, how, like you said, there's no fat on this movie. It's evolving. It's storytelling and scares and performances throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. So I think that it, the way that it ends very ambiguously, like, oh, the spirit has just gone from Deborah Logan to the little girl. And she says like, oh, I, I have a plan. It's a secret though. And then kind of stares in the camera and smiles. Mm-hmm. Obviously the spirit now is in her and it's gonna go on to do whatever horrific things the spirit wants to do. And so leaving it open-ended like that, I think is perfect. And I don't think that there is any story that they could tell that would compare or even need to be continued. Because think about it, like 
if they picked up with that little girl later on in the film, are we going to get another possession film dealing with a young woman that is possessed and how she's going to try to kidnap kids now? I just don't think that... I think they've exhausted this premise or this particular story the best that they could. And I personally don't think there's anything to be gained from continuing it. That being said, would I like the director... Adam Robitel to make another found footage film? Absolutely. But I just think it needs to be something original and separate from the taking of Deborah Logan. But what about you? You make a very good point. Um, my initial thought was in the way that you articulated your response, I actually, th I lean more towards your answer now in retrospect because yeah, then you're just going to have a continuation that has uh an ending to a story that didn't necessarily need a, a more thorough ending than it got mm -hmm. uh, or that it received rather. So no, I would agree with you. I think the way that I, the, the director doing another movie in the same vein, I would definitely applaud, but um, it seems like the, the actual story of the taking of Deborah Logan has met its rightful kind of end so far. Yeah. And so I think that also I want to take it back for a moment and just talk about this being a, story told within the found footage genre specifically because I think that we very easily could have seen somebody take a premise like this still have it be about a documentary crew but not necessarily use found footage so from I'm curious what you thought about the ways in which they utilize multiple different camera perspectives this is not a single uh, source found footage film right it's not one camera like the Blair Witch Project or something to that extent this is a film that has, I believe, three different types of camera perspectives where it's found, it's the, uh, the camcorder that's being used to film the documentary. There's a surveillance camera in the hallway. And then there's also the, the security cameras from the hospital. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, how you think they handled using those three distinctly different styles of found footage being captured uh, to kind of telling the story? I think they gave you different perspectives of certain scenes that otherwise wouldn't have given us enough context. Um, I think a very quick example of that is like when she levitates onto the countertop. Um, if there wasn't two different angles of that, it could easily be brushed off as there was an error, right? And so that just starts to build a tension just as a quick example, right? But those those different angles built a different tension throughout those scenes that otherwise we wouldn't have actually, I think, gotten or it wouldn't have been as impactful if it would have just been like a Blair Witch uh, type of point of view per se. Um, but, I, you know, but I don't know how I would have liked it I, I think that they, there's value in both of them, but I think in this particular movie, it was good that they had multiple angles versus just the the, the old-fashioned Blair Witch uh, kind of angle, so to speak. What about you? I really liked it because it kind of corrects one of my big issues with a lot of found footage films where we get a lot of scenes of people debating what is happening or, mm. oh, it's a trick of the lens of the light or something. So like kind of those kind of stock standard uh, argumentative type conversations that certain characters will have. And I, I agree with your point that like, oh, we have undeniable evidence that something is happening that's supernatural. What are we going to do about it? Right. And so I love that they include that, but also especially when we're in the hospital then and like she attacks the security guard or when her body 
I guess, or the spirit in her subconsciously hurls the TV at Harris and once she tells him like, oh, you should kill me because I'm possessed, the, the spirit in her basically has like a self-defense mechanism. And then we see the TV fly off the wall and crush him. I mean, mm. I love those moments because they're undeniable in terms of what is happening. And mm. yet there's that kind of just, we never have to deal with those sort of scenes where it's these very long arguments that don't go anywhere because it's undeniable that these things are happening. They're 100% happening. And so being able to show that and then move on from it right after and not have this sort of like conversation that lingers on it, mm -hmm. it allows that pacing, I think, to be very fluid. Mm -hmm. So you don't spend any time second guessing what's happening. Characters don't ha spend all this time debating what's happening. We know what's happening and we are allowed to more, the narrative is allowed to focus more on what are they gonna do about it? Mm -hmm. And we get to see that play out in their actions more so than kind of these just long bouts of dialogue that don't necessarily go anywhere. And mm -hmm. so that is what I think does a really great job of capturing sort of just the Deborah Logan transformation, as it were. And especially in the house, because otherwise we just have a bunch of scenes of somebody sitting up in bed and then catching up to the old woman that's walking around in the middle of the night. Right. Whereas it's much creepier when you sort of see her in her element where you're cutting between the different cameras and it's like, oh, she's walking towards this direction. But then she ends up in another part of the house type thing. And I think that that sense of space and capturing her kind of just like going through the motions of this very, uh, very supernatural progression into what happens in the later half of the film is gives us a much better appreciation of the space as it were, because otherwise I think to be limited to just one character holding a camera, I don't know, I feel like found footage has evolved from that point that the more perspectives you introduce the more engaging almost the story is and there's more opportunities for scares other than somebody just running at the camera or screaming into the camera type things this movie has like hints of a couple different you know classics i think the best way if someone asked me how i would describe is is this is like um it's like paranormal activity mixed with the exorcist in a way um, that's in a found footage style type of a movie. Um, I, I'm going to be interested to see in, in a couple years if we do see any other movies that are similar in this vein, like a, a medical documentary that's found footage in this kind of vein, right? Um, but if they take any hints of this or they take any of the stylistic approaches that um, the director and, and his crew took for this movie and apply it to other horror movies, because I think that's the really interesting thing as we do these reviews and we talk about, you know, the Night of the Living Dead through movies in 2020, how they're taking the best portions of those classics and applying them into these real world type of environments um, and and seeing if we can create another classic movie from some of those stylistic approaches. And um, again, that's why I love listening to, to and doing these types of reviews with you so I can see, you know, this evolve in real time, so to speak. Yeah, I think th that's how I would kind of break it down in layman's terms in terms of like what is so different about this found footage film from the others and I think that a big part of it for me is definitely again that medical documentary framework because again that feels like a very organic way to kind of establish some sort of a rapport with these characters and it does that in a way that really makes this film have character depth in a way that not all found footage films have and I think, like you said, you compared it to Paranormal Activity and The Exorcist. 
I think that you're right in that the best found footage films and we see them evolving. It's like, what are, what elements are they taking from classic horror movies or from revered horror movies? And how are they incorporating that in a unique way with the found footage subgenre, right? And the unique kind of presentation qualities that come with that. And I think that The Taking of Deborah Logan is a really, really great example of kind of making this found footage cocktail of a lot of elements that we're familiar with, but incorporating it in a way that feels organic to the presentation value that comes from found footage and how unique it is. Um, I think sometimes I've definitely seen found footage films, just like any other film, that draw inspiration from something. And yet it's almost like, okay, but does that does that help justify why this particular story needs to be told in the found footage genre? Because there's definitely films, and it's an issue that happens in any genre or subgenre, right? You need to make a case for why this is the particular storytelling method to tell this story, right? It can't just be another possession story that is happens to be found footage, right? It needs to feel intrinsic to this specific story, and that really comes across in... Uh, establishing the identity and the presentation of that story. Um, so yeah, I would definitely agree that I think in terms of being a fantastic example of a found footage film that feels like it justifies the need to be told in found footage format, even if there are elements of it that you can draw from other horror films and inspirations and things like that, those are all incorporated into this kind of found footage cocktail in a way that makes this film feel unique and different from a lot of other found footage films that we've seen. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. I mean, uh, out of out of the found footage films, I know that this is has a unique subgenre to it, but would you put this in like your top five of all found footage films? Yeah, I would think so. I think this is probably in my top five just because it's not the scariest, I don't think. It is very scary and unnerving. But at the same time, I think I'm just appreciated more in terms of there are no real like weak elements of the film for me. It doesn't have uh, aggressive shaky cam for a majority of the film. It has very kind of just well-developed characters, a well-developed narrative that kind of blends together both the horror elements, but also the elements that we've been talking about. We're presenting an illness and it feels very much like a family drama for a first half of the film. And so in that regard, there's no real shortcomings of this movie for me, it, whether it's found footage or just as a horror movie itself. Oh. I mean, this is a film that I think stands up really, really well against other found footage, but it's also, I mean, a, a horror film that I think succeeds in almost every avenue that it sort of uh, it sort of ventures down. How about you? Probably not the top three, but it's, it's in the top five, I think. Uh, it's, it's tough to beat Blair Witch Project and um, I think a lot of people will kill me for saying this, but I, I really like As Above, So Below. I like that movie too. That's that's a fun one. And I think that this film does a good job of, of taking a Deborah Logan actually, does a good job of sort of capturing that As Above, So Below claustrophobia in the back end of the film, which I really love. Again, talking about how the taking of Deborah Logan is able to put a lot of different moments in this film that might feel familiar, but it's incorporated into different elements of this film. So it makes it really, I mean, it changes up the settings, changes up the presentation style, uh, changes up the types of scares that they're going for. Um, so yeah, I mean, taking Deborah Logan is definitely a uh, found footage highlight of ours uh, so far within our on continued uh, found footage conversation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely uh, excited to see what uh, what next movie we, we think of to watch and uh, definitely looking forward to chat with you about that soon, man. Yeah, absolutely. I always uh, enjoy having you on to chat found footage or horror in general. So thanks again, man, for coming on. Absolutely. Appreciate you, man. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.